You're listening to At Large, a podcast brought to you by China US Focus. Episode 9, recorded on July 25th, 2018, with me, James Chow. Today I'm in Amsterdam. Welcome to At Large, where I explore the China-US relationship and how that in turn is impacting the wider global geopolitics. Coming up in this episode, China's president is in Rwanda and as he heads also to the BRICS leaders meeting. What are Americans saying about their trade war with China? I find out if there's support at home for more tariffs. And what's the rest of the world saying about the trade disputes? The UK chimes in and a special piece on the China US Focus website this week that provides you with an inside look into what the Chinese are really thinking. That's all coming up. As I said, I'm in Amsterdam for the International AIDS Conference. 15,000 leaders in politics, science and civil society coming together almost four decades after the start of the AIDS epidemic that reshaped the world and reshaped us. It's the biggest medical gathering in the world and it takes place once every two years in a different global city. Why Amsterdam? Well, over the years, the Netherlands government and its people have given very generously to the global fight against AIDS. And they see that not only as a health challenge, but as a fundamental part of human rights and social justice. I moderated a couple of sessions, one in particular with health ministers from Eastern Europe and Central Asia, which is the only region in the world today with an increase in new HIV infections. So the burden in terms of total numbers affected is still heaviest in sub-Saharan Africa. But the present and emerging danger is in countries like Russia and the Ukraine. Let's head now to Rwanda, where President Xi Jinping was the first time he had been in that country and the first time that any Chinese president has visited. In terms of what's happening over there, the Chinese are seeing um, an expanding involvement with the region in terms of new road networks, new hospitals and also a new airport. Paul Gagami says that that kind of partnership is a symbol of what's really possible. But in the past and in the present, suspicions about what China's intents with Rwanda and other countries in Africa is really about. And I think that's a very fair question. You have to ask yourself why a country is going to go over to another country and volunteer to build stadia and roads and highways and bridges for people other than their own. But in terms of what Xi Jinping said before he headed to Rwanda, he released a press statement that I think was sensitive to those criticisms and also in some way helped to answer that. He talked about uh, new hospitals being built by the Chinese, but also being staffed by Chinese frontline health workers that's going to provide much needed health services for over 600,000 people and also the drilling of 200 new water wells that's going to provide supplies and clean drinking water for over 110,000 people. It's not just the government, private sector is also becoming actively engaged. They are getting involved in all kinds of projects in Rwanda that have a strong social bent, not just an economic one. But I think it's not for me to say 
how the Chinese are interacting there. But I think it's important to ask an African what's going on there, what's happening on the ground itself. Emir Woods is a member of Africans Rising for Justice, Peace and Dignity. She spoke this week on what China is doing in Africa as a whole and what this trip that Xi Jinping is on is designed to achieve. Well, I think now you have seen an expanding Chinese interest in, again, this Belt Road initiative that will link up Africa to Europe, to Asia, to China. And so having West Africa sort of foothold, uh, Senegal, I think, represents uh, a new opportunity for China to be able to have Atlantic coast um, uh, presence and, and all of that to kind of mirror what's happening in East Africa with now heavy Chinese presence in places like Ethiopia and Djibouti, with even a Chinese military base in Djibouti. I think clearly this link of roads and ports and infrastructure in Africa to China has made sort of a West Africa the next foray in that, uh, in that initiative. Let's head over now to Paul Gagami himself, the president of Rwanda, who in previous lives was a soldier and a revolutionary that reflected not only the colonial past, but the extremely tragic genocide back in 1994 when much of the world stayed silent. I've interviewed him a couple of times over the years, most recently in Switzerland. Kagami was a very young boy when he was sent to Uganda with his family as a refugee and it was a very painful experience for him. In this interview, I asked him about that and this is what he told me. When you were at school studying under a tree, that was your shelter, uh, you had no books, you had no paper, you had no pens. Tell us, how did you write? In refugee, in refugee camps, people organize, actually federal refugees, those who were older, organized and took the young people, those of us who were young then, to be busy with the studying instead of running around the camps for, for, forever without doing much else. And that's how, in that organization, we came to find, you know, young people, kids collecting under trees in different places for the older ones who could help us read, write, and, you know, look at numbers and so on and so forth. But first of all, there was literally in terms of even blackboards and exercise books or other books. And therefore, you know, sometimes, you know, on a piece of anything, the teacher would write a number and sums to add up or subtract and so on, and would be told to you know, respond, we would be given questions and we would write on our thighs. This, this became our exercise books. That's Paul Kagami, the president of Rwanda, speaking to me there. Let's now go to the US-China trade war. There have been lots of discussion on why, what, how badly affected both countries will be, who will lose out, who's going to gain, who has the ability to move on. But what's interesting was hearing Dan Eikenson talk about it because it didn't seem like a bipartisan take, a pro or against 
argument for or against Donald Trump and his administration. But when I listened to him and the spontaneity and the passion with which he shared his insight, I really felt that this was just an ordinary American who has a particular skill set, who's interested in what's happening, who wants the best for his country, and someone who's deeply confused about what's evolving in front of him. I'm wondering when the administration is going to pull back and actually recognize that they are economically and politically constrained here uh, by suggesting that duties will be imposed on a half a trillion dollars worth of goods uh, is going to sink the U.S. and global economy. Uh, the, the problem is that the president, so far, his, his base has not expressed too much regret. They think he's doing a good job. Even those at Harley-Davidson, for example, which is shifting production over to Europe, uh, where people are going to lose jobs, they say, well, we believe that Trump knows what he's doing. Right now, he hasn't really felt uh, the call from, from the constituents, but he will soon. We have a special piece on our website this week, which is ChinaUSFocus.com. Wan Yong is a professor at Peking University in the Chinese capital. and He's written this pretty fascinating piece called 10 Truths About China-US Trade. I'm not going to run through the 10 points, but I'll start you off with a couple to give you a taste of what you can expect. He says, if the Chinese market is not open, it would be impossible to see 56% of US soybean exports, 26% of Boeing aircraft, and 6 16% of US automobiles exported to China. In sum, China does not want to fight a trade war and hopes to develop stable, mutually beneficial and fair trade relations with the United States. Now, this, of course, is not the president of China writing this article, but it is someone who is a leading influencer in society there and someone who really has a very strong grasp of what government is thinking. So that's a great piece to read up. It's called 10 Truths About China-US Trade. It's by Professor Wang Yong, and you can find it on our website right now. Finally, let's take a last look at China and Europe. They already have a great trade relationship, but I feel that there's going to be an expanding, shifting tilt uh, towards Europe, uh, not only in terms of numbers, but also in terms of who they can rely on on who they can do business with. Tim G is a corporate partner at Baker McKenzie's London office. He also heads the Consumer Goods and Retail Group. He talked about the UK, he talked about China, he talked about the US, and he talked about the mindset and the psychology which is at the core of this change we're sensing. The talk between uh, the EU and China about um, uh, reciprocal access, that's exactly the dialogue that the Chinese expect uh, and that's what's uh, making them feel comfortable about continuing to invest in Europe. The rhetoric from uh, the Trump government is, uh, is uh, very uh, unappealing for the Chinese. Um, they absolutely have an imperative to continue their policy of outbound investment. But they're only going to do that where they feel they're stepping into a situation where they've got long-term security about the way they will be uh, treated. Tim G from Baker McKenzie speaking over there. Well, that's it for this episode of At Large. We're back with you midweek at the same time every week, and we'd love to have your own voice included. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Our handle for both of them is at China US Focus, and my handle is at James Chow. In the meantime, thank you very much for joining us, and we look forward to speaking to you again. Have a great few days ahead. I'm James Chow. Goodbye.